Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, we have something a little bit different. Uh, my brother, David Fierro, who did this show when it first started, has been going through a really hard time. And he almost died in the fall and had to get a heart transplant and so much more. And um, I really want to help raise money for him and his cause and, and his food. And uh, this episode is about everything that happened to him and how you can help. So, David, I love you. Please, guys, everything will be in the link. Do what you can. All right, here it is. David Fierro, welcome back to Actor Despairs, brother. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back, Ryan. It's a pleasure to come on back and talk about stuff today. Um, well, there's there's a big elephant in the room and, and you're, you're in the hospital right now. And uh, we're here yep. to talk about that today because you almost died and had to get a, a heart transplant and a kidney transplant. And you're, yep. you're still in the hospital recovering. How long have you been in there now, man? It's been over a month, right? Oh, it's been longer than a month. Uh, basically, uh, I've been in the hospital for two months. This saga has been a crazy saga. It started off. Um, I'm just going to say this now. Yeah. If you go get checked out by your doctor ever, and your doctor just casually says something to you on the way out, you should follow that up. So for the past four years, every time I leave my doctor's uh, office for a, my yearly checkup, he goes, you know what? You should see a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something weird going on with your heart. Uh, this time I had to go get my COVID note so I could get my Did vaccine. You, do you have a murmur or what was the reason he was implying for you to get the heart? It was a, there was just a weird sound, like a, there was just some weird sound that he heard every time that okay. he's like, you should get that checked out. Uh, and I wanted to go get my COVID to get a note to get my COVID shot. Cause it's when you had to like still get notes for the COVID shot where you yeah. can just like walk up. And um, basically he's like, I don't have to lie. I can say you're morbidly obese, so I can write you a note because morbidly obese people can get the COVID shot. And I was like, again, thank you so much. You don't have to start off that way. You could just say yeah. you're obese. <laughs> but uh, so then I went to go see a doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, they showed it to me. They did that thing with the babies, the ultrasound where they just showed me yeah, how heart. my heart went. Yeah. And so then I went to NYU about a, month later and they looked at it they'd like shoot blue dye into my heart yeah um and they basically said yeah you've got a uh, you have an aortic valve that needs to be replaced it's a birth defect but also your size is not helping because you are morbidly obese and i'm like god damn it guys everybody doesn't have to throw this morbidly obese term around but everybody yeah. apparently every doctor wants to say as many times as possible morbidly obese so um, do you think, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure obviously some doctors can be assholes, but do you think that's a way of them, you know, maybe being a bit like blunt about being concerned or do you think it was just an asshole? No, I think it's I think it's a uh, engaging thing. I think it's basically you have to understand, like your body is this way because right. you've made choices in your life, uh, which, again, is part of this whole thing. Uh, so I, um, I said, okay. And they said, we think you should come get this surgery as quickly as possible. And I was like, uh, okay. And then I ended up getting Biden care, 
So, uh, which is, you know, we all got like free healthcare for like six months. So basically I said, uh, I'm so you, you're not, you're, you're not on SAGS insurance. I am on SAGS Cobra. Okay. I'm on, I'm actually been on SAGS Cobra, but the Biden thing was basically, it was, uh, because I'm on Cobra, I was able to get an extension of six months for free, uh, to go and basically, you know, I didn't use it. I, I basically worked. I, uh, ironically, I ended up working on all the COVID buses and I also ended up working at the Times Square COVID um, center with all the Broadway stars and everybody that uh, with like, you know, that it was really cool to work there. Uh, and then I worked on the buses for like five months, uh, basically getting people registered and vaccinated and then sitting with them after they got vaccinated. And then at the end, and they were like, always like, dude, you work every day. Why are you working so hard? I'm like, well, A, I'm not working as an actor right now. And B, you pay really good money and I have to bank all this money. And like, are you going on vacation? I'm like, no, because, because the way that the surgery had been described to me, it was going to go one, one of two ways. It was open heart surgery. They're going to have to open me up. Uh, they're going to have to stop my heart from beating. They were going to keep me alive on other machines and then um, just replace the aortic valve that needed to be replaced. And that was how it was explained to me. They're like, it's a two day process. You're going to come in on a Monday. You'll be out by a Wednesday. Don't even worry about this. We do this all the time. So I was like, cool, great. Showed up on September 28th. My sister flew out from San Francisco to hang out with me. We like, it's funny too, because I shot this really cool movie in September. I was like, this is great. Like I shot this movie at when I was at my height of my weight. And, um, and then I shot another movie literally the day before the uh, the surgery. I was wow. like, I was it was very important to me that my life still continue, even though I had this surgery going on, because I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to make sure that this thing didn't beat me, whatever was going to be the consequences of that. Yeah. So I said, I've I've got to you know I've still got to show up and do the work. And so I I shot the movie. We uh, we we went to go get Mexican food because I love Mexican food. And uh, and then the next morning we woke up. Uh, we went down to NYU Langone and uh, they walked me in and then uh, this thing began. Uh, what was supposed to be, I was supposed to be out by September 30th. Uh, I'm still here. I'm still here. Basically, the first thing that happened was that apparently in the first surgery, something happened in the room. They don't know really, like it's been very nebulous what happened, but I went into full cardiac arrest. Um, and then, uh, they had to give me the paddles of life. Uh, and, um, and then they kept trying to work on me. But the thing is, is that I was very like out of it. I was very like, my system was not good. Uh, and apparently at some point in the whole thing, they blew out my heart. Like my heart had, had gone through so much, like that it got blown out. So, so, so this was, operation, just to be clear for, for the audience, it was supposed to be, you know, probably what, three or four hours. And it, and it yeah. went on for much longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed. To, and basically, uh, apparently in the end, I'll be all, it also damaged my kidney too, uh, one of my kidneys and um, down the line in this period of time, basically this was the intro of the first two weeks of how long I was there. And in the first two weeks I was here, they had me on you were not conscious for those two weeks. We should say I was not. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk. So you you get the anesthesia, the procedure happens, and then you 
I know we've spoken when I came and visited you that you have some memories of hallucinating, but you woke up two weeks later, right? Yeah. Yeah. They had me on like four different drugs, like ketamine. They had me on a bunch of stuff and it was just like, it created all these dreams. And actually I'm, I'm writing a script about this because it's such an intense dream. Um, but the weird thing was it connected to things in real life. Like for instance, when they gave me the paddles of life, I remember that. Can you, they I mean, that, it to me twice. you can't gloss over that. So they had to resuscitate you. Yeah. They had to resuscitate me. Uh, and like, for instance, I had a stroke while I was in here and I didn't know that I had a stroke. I, and then they, at one point we we're trying to pinpoint that because they're like, your system says you had a stroke at some point. It's like, I don't ever remember having a stroke. And then they, we were able to pinpoint it. And it was in that two week period where I was drugged out of my mind. And I also apparently. Does that classify reasons, as a medically induced coma just for those listening or. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, okay. But, but I do know that like, I was, I, there was moments of clarity. I it wasn't moments of clarity. There's moments where my eyes opened up and I was able to kind of like interact and smile and shit. And then I would just go right back into the thing. And uh, for instance, me and my sister apparently watched the uh, the Rise of Skywalker, mm. and I just like was like, "This is the worst movie I've ever seen." And it's because like I was watching it through like like some hippie poster version of like you know with all the colors you would see in like a hippie poster where they'd be like flying and they'd be like flowers. And then there'd be like Ray and like, you know, Luke and stuff. But I was like high out of my mind. Uh, but I saw such crazy things. I went to such crazy places. Um, and I'll just never forget that there was a moment right at the end of the dream where uh, one of the people who'd been with me on the whole journey came up to me um, and said in my ear, it's time for you to go back. Wow. And I stood up and I walked down a hallway and two doors opened. In, and in, your, I, in your dream, right? Uh, in my dream. Yeah, in yeah, my dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my dream, I had this. And then I opened my eyes and there was my sister and my friend. And it was a totally like, it was the most like, because the crazy thing, and this is actually the thing that I've been dealing with recently, um, is getting so close to death opens you up in this spiritual way which you never expected before because I'm not spiritual in any way. Uh, and that guy, there's a chaplain that comes and visits me. There's a psychologist that comes and visit me. And every once in a while we'll get near religion and I'll be like, this isn't a religious thing. This is spiritual. This is about a greater spirit than, than we understand because there was a spirit that was guiding me in different parts of this journey. That's also guided me in my recovery uh, that would show up and help me through these things. But Again, I don't know what that was. I can't, I did not get to the light. I was really bummed that I didn't get to the light because I really wanted to see my dad. The most important thing was I really wanted to see my father and talk to him. Who is um, not with us. Anymore. My dad passed yeah. away many years ago, but he never came to my, me in, in, in the thing, which I believe meant that as far down death's door as I went, I never got to that point uh, of crossing over strangely enough though my sister was like you got to that point because she had to watch it all she basically didn't leave the, ho the hospital for like two weeks and she had to deal with everything um she had to make all the life choices she had to you know get all the information from the doctors uh then she was getting information from the nurses and correlating the information uh doing all the meetings in one meeting that she had with the hospital 
they straight up told her I was the sickest person in the hospital, which is insane. Um, Because we're in New York City. And and I I do want to say, you know, because obviously you're one of my best friends during those two weeks for those of us that were in in the, you know, on the outside, not hallucinating. We weren't sure which way it was going to go. There was a a big question mark for us. Would you say that's correct? You know, because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, you know, it was really a life or death concerning moments there. And your sister, who I do want to shout out, was an incredible, you know, and and um, and uh, Risa, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're phenomenal in keeping people in touch and and getting the information out there. And I, I tried to do my best to pass the word to other fellow actors. And, and we all, you know, I, I'm not I'm not spiritual nor religious, but I, I did put as much positive energy or ways as I could. And, and then, you know, I, I know it must've been terrifying, especially for your sister, but then we got the good news that you were going to, you were going to be pulling through. Yeah. And, um, and you brought me cookies, which is great. Well, and this was iPad. after, after, you, but, yeah, this is after, yeah. <laughs> what, what, so just to, to be clear. So um, you woke up and at mm-hmm. this point when you woke up, you had not yet had a heart or kidney transplant. Is that correct? No, I woke up and they, I was connected to three machines. I basically looked like I was made of wires. One of the reasons also that they had me on all those drugs was that at one point I definitely was trying to pull all of the, dr- the wires off of me yeah. because like they had like these like breathing tubes and everything. And I just couldn't function. I mean, it was like, I just kept trying to pull everything off and like, you can't do that. And I had one in my leg and they were like, the one in my leg was the one that was majorly keeping me alive. And they were like super guarding that one because they knew if I pulled that thing, I was just a goner. Well, can you talk about that moment of coming to reality? Like what, what, I mean, everyone, you know, listening is, is probably never been that close to death. So when you wake up, do you have any idea of time, place, like, you know, that time is passed and that, or do you think it's right after the procedure? Yeah, I did not know. I basically did not know that I'd lost two weeks. It took actually many days. Actually, the thing is the nurses upstairs had to post the dates for me every day. And the note would say, today is Wednesday, this date. And, you know, and they would basically like, look at that, look at that. Cause that's today's date. And I'd be like, okay. And then the weird thing about the ketamine was that it took, I, t- I got off the ketamine, but it took like a week and a week and a half to come off off the effects of it. So yeah. I have all these memories that are not real. Like I was talking to my sister. I'm like, remember you got arrested at the hospital? And she's like, I didn't get arrested at the hospital. Wow. Or like there was a whole thing where I thought I was in like a, a scandal type TV show where like uh, the people were... Uh, we were going to expose the hospital for something. And I was just like the old, like Navy captain who'd come. It was a weird, like, and like, it was just crazy, but I was convinced that it was real. And it's funny because they had to kind of like, I had some very important meetings when I got up. Uh, And my sister kind of had to be like, that's not real. This is what's real. This is what's going on. Because basically I ended up having a meeting where they, presented all the options that I had. Um, well, first off, they had a meeting with my sister that bef- they had a, they had every one of these meetings with my sister before I woke up. It's one of the reasons why they had to wake me up was they were preparing her 
to have to prepare me for the meetings. And like, so for instance, they came to her uh, about the different options and then they, and then palliative care came to her. And again, I don't know who's listening to this. Uh, if you have anything to do with the hospitals or anything like that, but if palliative care wants to talk to you, what palliative care is there for is dying with dignity. They were going to shut the wow. machines off. Uh, and like, that was like, my sister was, I cannot talk to you because palliative care had come to my dad's bedside and had had the same conversation with my sister when they came. So she's like, I know who you guys are. I don't want to talk to you guys right now. Oh. Um, but cause they were, they were prepared for me to die. It basically, cause there was options, but they weren't great options. The first one was, and we talked about it. And the, the first one was. What, what, what is the first thing? Like, I just, you know, for the audience, for my own, you know, knowledge, what is the first thing they say to you when you wake up? Like, Hey man, uh, it didn't go well. This is two weeks later and we got to figure things like what, how do you, how do you address that? Everyone was like, basically the first people I saw was my sister and our friend, Jason Kirsten. And they basically, uh, they welcomed me back and they told me, they told me so much information as I, as they felt I could process, but I couldn't really talk. Like it took a lot. Like, you, know, you had that tube. I remember your voice was like two octaves higher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my voice, I'm actually, I, I have a bunch of water with me right now because I was, I'm worried that, you know, my voice will kind of like start coughing and stuff right now, but it's actually very lucky. I think because I had guests yesterday here in the hospital, my voice is actually sounds like me. It like, yeah. it's getting back to what my voice sounds this, like. This is the but most then, David I've seen since this whole thing happened. Like you've seen totally yourself vocally and thank you. And, yeah. So it's great to see you, man. I appreciate you, you, appreciate be, you being here while you're in the, in the hospital. So continue on. Yeah, so you got have, these cool. You have these cool pictures. I have an IV trip behind me. <laughs> well, yeah, we we will get to this later. But uh, the reason we're doing this is, pardon me, there's a, a fund for your health. And, and I really want people to know what's going on so they can contribute to this fund. I have donated myself. And yeah. it's, it's imperative to, to me that we get you, you know, all of the money to, to be able to recover from this. So in order to get there, let's let's go back to the option. So you're, you, you get briefed from your sister and your yeah. other friend basically about what's happened. And then you have a meeting with your doctors. What happens yes. in that meeting? In the meeting, uh, they basically present the options. Uh, the first one is what's called an LVAD. The LVAD is a temporary solution that some people find permanent. And I don't understand how you could, but it's basically like a backpack heart. And what they do is there's a tube in the back. So you pull out the tube and it's filled with like, just gross, like, you know, like material from your heart, your blood and stuff like that. And you can't even reach it. Someone else has to reach for it. Then they have to go clean it. And you also have to charge the LVAD before you can go out anywhere. You can never get the LVAD wet. You can't go swimming with the LVAD. You can't do anything, but the LVAD keeps you alive. Uh, and, you know, I'm a single man who lives in New York. There was like, we have to get me a roommate at some point, but there's like no roommate that's going to move. And I'll be like, hey, I'll take a hundred bucks off your rent. If you'll just like grab this disgusting, slimy thing out of my back, go wash it and then shove it back in there. And then you got to charge me for like an hour. So it's like so, the example of like a colostomy bag, but for a heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. 
Got it's it. just a big old gross bag that's in the thing. Um, but again, some people live off of it. Uh, and then the big thing was a heart and kidney transplant. And they kind of, we had to go back and forth about it because I'd had the stroke. Uh, and also because, um, which happened while I was in the hospital. Uh, and because I'd had uh, some other health stuff, they were like, also because I was also 307. I don't know if we got to the elephant in the room. I know we've talked about the morbidly obese. I'm gonna say now, when I was admitted to the hospital, I was 307 pounds. I don't know if I said it, but 307 was what I weighed. So there was concerns about putting a heart in this body that I had. So we had a meeting and in that meeting, uh, right before the meeting, I had my sister grab a picture off the wall. It was like me and some friends. We took it the night before I came in, two nights before I came to the hospital. And I just posted, I, I looked at them and I said, this is the man that came into the hospital two nights before like, September 26th. And this is the man that I want to leave this hospital. And uh, they said, don't worry, we, we, we got you. We got you taken care of. And then basically I was moved to a priority on the transplant list. Uh, so my sister had to fly out back to the Bay area. And then my mom showed up uh, and she showed up just to be like, I'm going to be here to support you. My mom hasn't flown an airline in like 30 years. So she was freaked out of her mind. Uh, she has a, she's from New York, but she hasn't been here in so long. And she, uh, she didn't even want to walk from the hotel. The hotel was like 34th and third and I'm at 34th and first. And she's like, can I get some people to drive me down? And like, it's just two blocks. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. But, but uh, she did get all the rides that she needed, but um, she was there and she was there when they told me we're giving you the transplant tonight. And so, so I, so it became mandatory. It was no longer that other option was no longer an option. It was like, you need both a heart and a kidney transplant, a dual yeah. transplant. Yeah, because basically, well, first off, uh, I'll just say when they when they present with the LVAD, the backpack thing, I apparently just said, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I want a transplant. And then um, the thing about transplants is they have to transplant both. They can't just transplant one. Uh, and also there was damage that was done to the kidney in the process of the whole thing. With the uh, new kidney body, or the, or the old kidney? No, there was damage done to the old kidney. Okay. Basically yeah, yeah. all organs that were in had had some damage from this whole thing. So it was recommended that they replace the kidney anyway. So they put it in. So, uh, and also, uh, NYU is like the premier heart transplant, uh, hospital on the East coast. Yeah. So like I was in the best place to get it done. Um, and then you, so we you do have to, you know, I, I just because this is so profound, I don't want to gloss over it. And I apologize for interrupting you. But uh, to get a transplant, uh, as sad as it is to say someone has to pass away. Correct. Yes. Yeah. OK. I will never know the donor. Okay. I've asked about the donor. Um, they will not. It's it's a confidential thing. And I. And honestly, it's funny because when I first, I know I'm jumping a little bit. I'm just doing this like to get back to this. But when I first woke up, I could barely eat any food, but all I could eat was like the vegetables. I was just eating the vegetables like voraciously. And I was like, I wonder if my donor was a vegan, but I'll never know. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, so they took me in for the surgery. Um, and it was scary. I mean, like, look, the whole thing, there's not been a moment in this whole thing that hasn't been a terrifying thing. And when and they took me in, it was, were you terrified, dude? I mean, they told you you had to get a heart and kidney transplant. I mean, I would be like, what the fuck? Like, were you scared or were you just like, if this is, this is it, I got to do it, you know? Because, oh yeah. Wow. Well, it's a combination of the two. Like, you know, there was a will to life that I had. Uh, and it, it actually started even in the ketamine phase. I, I skipped over this, but I remember that I would, I, one nurse told me that one night I just, I was asleep and I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, my name is David Fierro and I was on Red Oaks and I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> great show, man. Great character. Hey, great show. Yeah. Apparently I just really want to brag about my resume yeah. when I'm on death's door. But um, so we went in for the surgery. I was terrified. Uh, I'd had some physical therapy before that, which had shown some promise. My legs were showing promise again, uh, but they hadn't fully like, this, by the way, it's so funny. I say this when I talk to physical therapy about that, they're like, you know, we had like 18 people helping you up, but you were up and you got to do some things. Uh, and I was like, I don't remember that at all. I just remember doing this is before bones. or after the transplant. This was before got because I, I basically had, that was there for like a week uh, before. Um, and then I went in for the transplant. How is and it when, then, you, when you get the news that you're getting it? Are you over the moon? Like, you know, because you're waiting, right, for for one to be available. And then you get the news and, and it's coming to you, you know. Was was there ever a concern that, like, you may not get it in time? Or was that not, you know, because of NYU's prestigiousness, was that not really a concern? You know, what I think it was, was that they had me on three machines. And they knew that it was not sustainable. And so that bumped me to the priority list because they knew that they made, they decided that they were going to do the transplant with me and that the, the options they had were pretty unviable. I also, by the way, signed up for everything because, uh, you know, they have like different options. Like if you, are you okay with getting like a uh, transplant from someone who had hep A or hep C? And I didn't even know there's a vaccine for hep A and C because I've actually started the process of getting the vaccines for hep yeah. A and hep C. I, I, but, um, yeah. Um, but like they started the process with me. So basically I was like, I'll take any heart that comes down the line. I didn't have to take any heart. The heart that they presented me was a great heart. Yeah. Uh, but, but basically, yeah, we went in, I, uh, put my faith with them and, uh, they had to do the heart first. And then right after they did the heart, the kidney Tim came in. And they did the kidney. And then two days later, I woke up. My mom was there. Some nurses were there. We talked. Uh, in ICU, the- obviously, right? In my room, in my room. Because uh, I had like. In intensive care, though. You weren't just in the yeah, room. That I- care. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the room actually, I think they might have moved me to the 13th floor. Because ICU is, I think, the 14th floor. And at that point, the transplant had happened. So then I was on the transplant floor. Yeah which the transplant floor had a lot of rules. Like it's funny. Cause like um, on the 14th and where I'm currently at is Rusk, which is the rehab center. Uh, they're basically like have as many guests as you want. Nobody has to wear like, a, everybody has to wear a mask, but nobody has to wear like these capes. But on the transplant floor 13, everyone had to wear capes when they were with me 
And so it was kind of weird because I'd be like, I watched everybody struggle with the capes. They all, everybody hated the capes. Yeah. Like, why do we have to wear these? And that's, oh, there's a skin condition going around and da 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 da. So, so you're immune compromised. And, and what is that? You know, uh, forgive me for my ignorance. Because no when, why does that happen? Uh, basically, because my heart, because of the drugs that they have me on, I'm open to a lot of different things inside of the universe, inside of our world now. So basically, like I can't eat certain things like I can't eat tangelos or grapefruits or um, pineapple. No, not pineapple. Grapefruit. Uh, I don't know. I just, there's like three specific. I should remember. Oh, pomegranates. I, I, I saw your meal train thing. So I was looking yeah. at it. Yeah. The, yeah. And then there's like things like I can't eat like uh, cut vegetables and stuff, but it's all about bacteria. It's all about basically like okay. anything could affect me. So, and they even recommend like not taking the subway for a while. Uh, but then wow. some doctors would be like, you just got to wear a mask. Basically it's follow COVID rules. It's great because we had to live this way. We have yeah. to live this way now. So I'm just going to have to live the way everybody else lives. But when we get past the pandemic, I will still have to wear a mask and be taking care of myself for the rest way, of just, for the rest of your life it sounds like that i mean basically there will be an immunity that grows inside of me but it still is possible that i might i still should be careful like for instance i can't eat sushi which is a real bummer yeah i saw that um, yeah yeah I know, I know that makes me sound like so shishi but i was like no man i, I like sushi yeah I can still eat the fuck out of a burrito though. And I'm going to be just chowing on those. Like, so when, when you wake up with these transplants, I mean, I, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Is that, is that a weird sensation knowing you have somebody else's heart and somebody else's kidney inside of you or because you were so sick, were you, you know, I don't want to say thrilled, but were you just happy to, to have had it? Like talk to me about the emotions that were going through your head. I mean, this has been an emotional roller coaster. Like, I've never felt more like any moment could be a tear moment. Like, yeah. any moment I could just break down. I watched Tick, Tick, Boom a couple of weeks ago, and I was just, like, crying the entire time. Yeah. Uh, but basically, um, no, you, you're aware of it. But also, because I don't know whose it is, I'm aware that I have this thing inside of me that's keeping me alive. I don't know whose it is, but now it's mine. Uh, and, um, it does like, you know, again, it's just weird. It's weird. It's a weird thing, but it's mine now. So, you know, I can't really do anything about it. It's keeping me alive. And actually it's been really strong. There hasn't been rejection. Like they test me all the time today. I had a biop. It's like, I've had four or five biopsies and biopsies are the worst, but it shows what the rejection rate of the hot heart is. Are you uh, going and, under for biopsies or? Yeah. Today yeah. I, they took me downstairs. And they, it's so funny because they always want to go through my wrist. Like, the way they do it is they go through your wrist with a little thing that like pulls some material out or they go through like, you know, different places. But I've known because I've done five of these now that like, you got to go through right here on me, right, right there. And it's like, and they're like, I was like, well, maybe we could try. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's, it, trust me, I've, I've gone through five of these. I, I know. And then they always end up having to go right through here. Uh, but it's weird, you know, they have you on like these drugs. The first time they didn't have me on the full drugs. Today they did. And apparently I just like passed out afterwards. But um, 
the first time I was scared out of my mind. I was like shaking and I didn't even have like the full dose. So I could like, I was shaking and I was so worried uh, because again, I've gone through so many procedures at this point yeah. and I've had very good luck. And like, I, I, again, there is a spirit that's keeping a hold of me because like they've all gone great. I mean, again, thank God for modern science. Thank God. I mean, I was on the Nick. So, you know, like I know how the birth yeah. of this shit went, yeah. but like, thank God for modern science because these people really know what they're doing. Uh, it's pretty routine, um, except for the first surgery, which was probably me. I mean, you know, but who knows? Uh, it was just an act like something happened in that room, but I'll never know what that was. Yeah. And I really want to explore it. Uh, but, you know, every other surgery has been just clean. And, and so I put my faith in modern science. I love that. And so was there a period of concern after the transplants that your body might reject that? Like how long is that window of, of 100%. Knowing? yeah. Okay. And so the big one was, Oh, sorry. No, I'm just, how, how long is there? I don't know if there's like, you know, the, the seven days or you did, how soon did you know that this is my body's accepting it? I knew pretty soon that the heart was good. The kidney has had issues uh, because kidneys take a while to kick in. So for instance, uh, they did a bunch of weird stuff with me. They put me also uh, because of the food tube, they had to put me on uh, this thing called thick water. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I couldn't drink real water. I had to drink thick water and thick water is like, like it's like that water that you have when your jello has been like sitting out for too long. Uh, but it's in a form of water. It, so it, you're just drinking like. It's got lube, lube-esque to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I couldn't get hydrated. And apparently I, I, I knew this because like my nose was like a danger ground of like, you know, mucus. It was just like, they were like rocks of mucus in my nose. Uh, in fact, at one point they had to like run a wire down my throat, down my nose, which by the way, I'm so sorry if anyone's listening to this eating no. or anything that yeah. uh, it's gross, but they had to like run a tube down my nose and they couldn't because there was so much hard mucus. They had to choose the other nostril, but, um, and that was easier to get down, but the thick water just really just fucked me up. Uh, and then also there was like weird things like, you know, my legs, because I wasn't in motion, my legs started doing weird things, which is where I'm currently at. I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that is that uh, at one point I felt like I didn't have two legs. I had one leg and they had merged together because I couldn't move either of them because they were so solidly together. Um, and also I had to sleep in a certain way. I've had to sleep on my back since all this started uh, mainly because the ECMO machine was connected to the uh, my leg. And so if I moved, I could have died, but um which again is its own terror. Like, you know, I'm going to go sleep and maybe tonight I'll die. Uh, But, you know, I, I tried to stay as positive as possible. Uh, There were dark days and um, there's always dark days. And then I just would watch a lot of TV. I watched so much bad TV. I think I went through the entirety of beat Bobby Flay. Wow. And diners, drive-ins and diners, drive-ins. And what's the third thing? Guy Fieri or something? Yeah, Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I watched I watched his other show where they all run around a grocery store. I basically, and then the people would come and be like, why are you watching all this Food Network stuff? And I'm like, well, I had CNN on and 
I can only that, watch that for that's so long. That's so dark. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> thing you want to be watching. I was like, this sucks. I'm going to go watch food that I can't eat. There was like one thing where I was like, a, they did a grilled cheese sandwich with like mozzarella sticks. And I was like, yeah. who, who the fuck eats this shit? Um, but yeah, it just took my mind off the thing. Uh, and then I have to sit and for eight hours each day in a chair, which is much like this, so that all the stuff that's in me could start just flowing out of my body uh, and so that I could start creating my spine again. Uh, and then we went into rehab and OT, uh, which is occupational therapy. And um, it's crazy because, um, you know, to actually have to like start using these things in your body again, yeah. that have been kind of just laying in wait. Uh, with occupational therapy, they uh, taught me how to brush my teeth again, which is insane. Wow. That's crazy. I'm a 46 year old man that had to relearn how to brush his teeth. Uh, they tried to put me on a toilet one day and I cried more than I've ever cried in my life because I could not get off the toilet. Uh, uh, sorry. Because I hadn't learned. I mean, basically yeah. the thing is each thing was a thing I hadn't learned and the nursing staff, some of them were really nice. Some of them were really mean and they'd be like, I can't believe you don't stand when people aren't around. And I'm like, I wouldn't do that. Like I've talked to my therapist. My therapists were very clear about what I should or shouldn't be doing. And my therapists were great. Uh, they really taught me so much. Uh, and it's funny because at the beginning of therapy, you know, I learned, I learned to channel my anger because I learned that I had so much anger about what had happened to me. And that if I could channel that, because I would like, they would like pick me up and I'd be like, come on, you fat piece of shit. Get up, get up, you fat they, piece of they shit. They would say that no, to you? I would, I would oh. say that. I would say that. I, I would say, say that I'm, openly. I'm coming to like, pay him a visit. What the fuck? I would say that openly because I knew that I had to get off these things, like get off the chair, move this way and do this stuff. And they'd be like, you can't talk to yourself that way. You can't talk to yourself that way. And so then we started doing these things like where they would make me stand uh, and they would try and see how long I could stand at the beginning. Uh, I would just play Rage Against the Machine and DMX yeah. and like Wu-Tang. And I'd just be like, really? I, especially like People of the Sun because I'm Mexican. And I was like, oh. this is for the People of the Sun. Yeah. Uh, but, and then uh, it's so funny because I went through the whole anger phase of being like, ah! and then one day they came in and they're like, okay, David, we're going to get you back up. We're going to have you stand. I was like, cool. And I put the, uh, the first song from La La Land on, Another Day of Sun, which is like the happiest song you're going to ever get. It's like, and I was so happy. And they're like, what happened? Like, you've been listening to this aggressive music and now we're listening to this happy music. And I said, I made the choice to live in a world of light and not in a world of darkness. I chose positivity. We're going to solve this, but we're going to solve it through positivity. Um, and it just shifted everything for me in, in the process of doing everything. That moment like it, forward when you had that, that moment shift. forward. Yeah. Yeah. Because like every time, and I did take things personally when I couldn't do things, I took it personally, but they're like, you can't take it personally because you're on a road. You're not there yet. You're, you're yeah. learning the steps you have to do. Um, and basically, when I was on the 13th, rehab was about 
doing the things. It was a, it wasn't about precision. It was, and I, I liken it to when like when you find when your friend does his first Shakespeare monologue, he's like, I've never done this. I'm just going to do it. And they yeah. get through everything. And they say it, but they don't like they don't know the words. They don't know what the phrases mean. They don't know where to breathe. They don't know anything. They're just like, this is what I think this is. And I'm just going to read it and get it out. And that's what therapy was on the 13th floor was it was all about like, just I got to get it out. I got to do this thing. I'd like walk all over the place. Uh, and then when they brought me down to rehab on the ninth, uh, like upstairs, I was walking like 510 feet a day, which was, you know, and that was expected. Like you should be walking that much. And when I came down here, we'd walk 40 feet a day. Wow. I'd be like, what happened to 510 feet? And be like, well, we're not focusing on getting you around. We're focusing on your foot placement. And we're focusing on how you breathe while you make the movements. So again, going back to the Shakespeare metaphor, down here on the ninth floor in rehab, it's like when you've been trained and you approach material and you, you're just learning how to best find it in your body through your training. And it's about refining things and relearning aspects of it and being like, okay, that's what this means and this and this and this. It makes, it, you can make it make sense. Got you it. can emotionally connect to it. Uh, which is actually funny. I, I was going to say, you know, obviously, once you started getting busy in these things, you know, given the fucking nightmare of the non-universal healthcare we live in in America, at what point did, you know, your sister or the doctors or the hospital bring it up like the fact about, you know, a, a gigantic bill that was going to present itself at some point? Did that enter your mind at any point? You know, it's the thing that I know is coming because basically I know that it's on its way because I remember when I got that surgery in April, they're like, you're good. You're all covered. And then one day I was sitting in my kitchen, like making some food. And I got an email that says, you owe us $2,000. And I was like, uh, I knew that was coming, but this isn't going to be a $2,000 thing. I've been here for two and a half, well, a little bit, two in a week of time, two months in a week time. So like when this bill comes, it's going to be, it's going to hurt. And I know that, but I can't, if I focus on that too much, I cannot get back on the road to recovery. I mean, that's going to come. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up in a negative way. I I'm, I'm bringing that back up for the fund because you, oh yeah, yeah, you, you do have a, a crowdsource going on right now. A very beautiful one. GoFundMe. And a GoFundMe. And, and we hit the first goal, but now, you know, because mm-hmm. of the severity of the bill and how long you've been there, we've had to, to push the goal higher. And um, I really want to make this happen. And so talk to me about how, how people can get involved. I mean, obviously I know just donate, but like you're also, you, you, you need help with meals as well. Correct. Yeah. They're doing a meal train. Uh, where they'll deliver meals to my house. Uh, and I'll post that. I think it's it's on my Facebook and then I'll put it on my Instagram. Uh, and it'll be linked I always, below right here, guys. Um, but it's just basically to help us get through this thing. These, uh, I mean, it's going to be, because also I haven't worked in two and a half months. I've yeah. been sitting on my butt just like, and what, uh, what about rent? Have you been having to pay that as well? I paid rent. I paid rent. <sighs> I paid like 
I have my health insurance because I'm on Cobra. Yeah. So basically, when which you're, is not cheap for anyone who no, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 no. I think it's like nine eighty five or something. Oh, uh, and I'm getting a subsidy for it, so it's like four something. It's like five hundred, but it's still every month. Like if I had worked more in 2020, which I don't know why I didn't work a bunch in 2020, but if I'd worked more in 2020, I would have insurance that would be covering me right now, um, which would be $400 every three months, as opposed to $500 every month. Wow. And and then also just the costs of living in New York, the costs of being the the man who I am, uh, it's, it's going to be hard. I mean, there's going to be some hard months ahead. Uh, and I just can't, I mean, as everyone says, you just got to focus on where you're at now. You can't focus on what's going to happen because that's going to happen. And we're going to have to figure that out as it happens. You know, and, and so any help that, that people can give is so appreciated because uh, the pain is going to be strong. The pain is very strong. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of pain, you know, man, I, I do want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'm I'm so proud of you and you truly are the most resilient friend I, I, I know, man. And I'm just like, you know, you've been a, a, an angel to me. And I remember talking, you know, so many times this summer and, you know, you were scared about this thing and I feel, you know, let me apologize on air, like an asshole that I wasn't more, you know, there, you know, cause I didn't know, I thought it was just some routine thing, but I do want to speaking of pain, the last time you did the podcast, when we were really talking about your acting career, something great happened that turned into something horrible. Would you yes. mind sharing that? Yeah. Uh, basically, I was walking in to do the podcast with Ryan, and my agent informed me that I was being I was being tested for this TV show called Tommy, uh, with Edie Falco as the lead, uh, and it was going to be on CBS. And I... Uh, I was like, what does that mean? I was like, oh, shit. She's like, you can't tell anyone. I'm like, I'm not telling anybody. We did. We went and did the podcast. I was like super happy and like super like light on the podcast. And that's because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I'm being tested for this TV my, my, show. My life's about and, to change. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then that night I was at a, uh, I was taking the subway home. And it's a whole day of like, what do we know? Have we heard anything? What do we know? And my agent called me and she's like, you're flying to LA next week, just so you know, you're doing the thing. Your life's gonna change. And I was like, what? I can't believe, I started just openly, I mean, again, this is like, as I said, it's not a big thing. I mean, it's not surprising. Openly weak against the train station. Just I could not stop weeping out of joy. And then I, I flew out and I met everybody. Uh, they had to like fit me for the suit um because you played the mayor the, right or i played the mayor played yeah, buddy yeah. boyardi which is not the name that they ended up going with uh, uh but i oh by the way i'm so sorry before i say the thing about the suit i do want to say one thing i know i said that i was morbidly obese and i weighed 307 pounds i currently weigh 223 pounds oh my god that's incredible to be. I had it's 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 because of the, the hospital, the loss of muscle, the diet they put me on. But it's insane. Like when I walk out of this place, I'm not going to be playing the mayor in the fat suit. Yeah. 
Like I'm going to be playing different parts that I've never played before in my life. Leading man opposite and halfway. <laughs> it's going to happen, dude. Everything has changed. Um, but anyway, so I got the news. I went out to LA. I got the fitting. I had missed the reading. So um, my first scene, it was me, my henchman, and Edie. And I don't know if you guys, I, I said, I told this story about the Nick, about how the first day I was scared and I was like, yeah. I'm going to get fired. And I went and had like the sad Indian meal and cried. And I was like, they're going to fire me. The Nick was known these things going to happen. This one, I walked out of that day fucking on cloud nine. I was like, yeah. things went so good, man. We got it. We had a really good chemistry. Uh, they did make me eat like 80 uh, cliff bars because my character really liked cliff bars. Okay. So every take was like, like I'd just keep eating cliff bars. And then when they would reverse, they'd be like, hey, can you eat those cliff bars? Because we need it on the audio. And I'd be like, am I still eating cliff bars? So I was like, I ate and I was like, they had the spit bucket. And I'd be like, <laughs> every time. Yeah. Um, and so the first day was was amazing. And then um, we shot this scene um, in a Chinese restaurant and they noticed that I wasn't eating the Chinese food. And I'm like, hey, can you, can you eat the Chinese food? You know, like you did the cliff bars. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not eating the Chinese food. Like I ate cliff bars because I ate like 80 of those and I'm definitely yeah. constipated from cliff bars. <laughs> but I ended up having to eat some, some Chinese food. It was delicious Chinese food. And the shots went great. And then we had to go shoot this whole scene. Me and uh, Joe Taylor, I believe Joe is his name. Uh, we had to go shoot a scene with me and him that I auditioned with uh, in a car going high speed across all of LA. And we went all over LA and there was like helicopters and there was limousines. And it was like the craziest shoot I ever had. Succession but it was also style, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so much text. And, uh, and they're like, do you want the text? I'm like, no, 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 I know these scenes, this line. But I was like, kind of like, you know, it, it took me out. It took me out a little bit, uh, but they were happy that we found it. You were able to do it. It was great. And then I had another scene on the street. Basically, everything was great. And I went to go visit my mom up, up in Northern California. I was like, this is going great. I'm so happy. But there was this little voice in my head that said, again, don't get too happy. Don't give in to uh, joy too much because you might get fired. You never know. It's Came a back, pilot, yeah. The pilot might not go. I mean, Marcy Phillips has this great story about basically how, like, there was an actor that she worked with a lot that uh, she told him, she's like, don't go crazy. You booked this show. Don't go crazy because you don't know what's going to happen. And the guy, like, bought a house in Malibu and, like, or something like that. And then the show got, like, canceled after the third episode. So they didn't even shoot beyond the third episode. The guy was fucked. He had a house in Malibu yeah. that he had to sell. Um, but I was trying not to go crazy. And then I went, um, then we got all done. I went home. I came in to do ADR on the thing. I was super excited about it. Uh, and then they announced the show was getting picked up and they showed an upfronts for CBS that year. And they showed the trailer and the trailer is just basically almost 80% me and Edie. Yeah. If you go find the trailer, the trailer is still online. And I, you know, and I was super excited. I was like, look at that. And I went to like 
the and they I went invited to the you to up front. Yes. No, and, they didn't invite me. They, the, they invited me to the parties. Well, and but uh, what when the uh picked up two series was announced, it was Edie Falco David Fierro. Your name was in the deadline article. Yeah, and like I went to the upfronts party, uh, and I saw friends that I knew, and then like I met Glenn at the thing, uh, and I just met all these people and I was super excited. I was like, this is the level I've wanted to be at. This and this is amazing. I cannot believe that I have the opportunity to be in this space with these people doing this thing. Uh, and then about a week later, I was having a dinner with friends. I was on about on my way to meet them and I got there early. So I was like having coffee and uh, my agent called and she's like, I got some bad news for you. And I'm like, what? what? What could be the bad news? Like, what, are we shooting later in the year or something? Like, what's going on? She's like, they have decided to recast your part. And um, I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't say a word. I just, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, I went to go down to meet my friends. And that was the worst idea I could have possibly had. Because I was sitting at there at the table, just staring at them. And there was just tears like flowing down my face. And every once in a while, I'd have to get up, go to the bathroom, breathe in the bathroom. And just like, you got to hang it together, man. You got to hang it together. Come back out. I'd be hanging out with my friends. And they, they knew. They're like, hey, you want some drinks? You want some chips? You want some like this? And I'd be like, I couldn't say anything. My voice does this thing every once in a while when it gets stressed out. which is like, <laughs> And that's all you could hear was just like me, like growly voice being like that. And so I was just, all my hopes and dreams were destroyed in that moment. And I remember I walked, I went home, I walked through parks. I just couldn't, you know. And the worst thing was, was that you just said it. The deadline posted like all these great things like David Fierro yeah. on, you know, fucking. And then to see the reverse of being like, David Fierro is being replaced. Yeah, because you Tommy. posted the status, and then all of a sudden, had you had it. Uh, you had to say, "Guys, this isn't working out," and we were all so angry. I mean, who does that to a human? It, it's, but it, it's part of the thing. That it's, it is. It's part of the whole thing, and you know, like I can't fault anyone uh, because that was the piece that, like, for instance, again, three oh seven. Now 223, that character needed to eventually become a love, uh, a love interest character. Yeah. You can't put me like you just can't put me next to a beautiful woman. But three, you know, at 307 and be like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, I get it. She really likes him for his personality. I'm not trying to be fattest. It's just the life that I have lived. I understand that. Like I this is the body I live in. Like, for instance, in the script that I'm working on right now, it was very important that we get to see the couple and they're fat, they're overweight and that they love each other and that they, we spend an inordinate amount of time with them being intimate because as I was told once by a casting director, when you see two thin people kiss, it's beautiful. When you see two fat people kiss, it's hilarious. And I've never forgotten that. And I was sitting there and I was just like, thank you. Uh, but so, 
yeah, I walked around this haze and it's funny, you know, I ended up having to do some catering gigs. I mean, basically I was catering to, to make money and yeah. I had to do some catering gigs at the place where we had the party. Oh my God. And it was like, the whole night was like, this was the place where all my dreams came true. And then this is the place where all my dreams are shattered. And it took a while to get out of that hole. I think it took um, just a lot of like reflection, hope, uh, studying with my coach to really get me into a place where it will happen again. Yeah. It will happen again. um, And it's just, you know, I just have to take more time, breathe more, um, really be, and also be able to accept defeat. That's the big thing. It's like, there are no guarantees in the job that we chose. Rejection, rejection, rejection. I did have a a stalker who basically told me what a shitty actor it was and how fat I was. Well, fuck that guy and I'll find him out and I'll beat the shit out of him. (laughs) It's all good. No, he's he, he's gonna be dead soon. Don't worry. But no, uh, no, no, no. Let's not. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, I'll cut that. And um, so, man, you know, I, I I appreciate you sharing that anecdote. And the reason I brought that up is because I don't want you know you, you anyone who looks you up on IMDb sees that you work a lot, but it's it's not you know it, 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 the thing I've learned in so many actors that I interview is like. IMDb can be very deceptive. People think it's this and you got paid this. And because that person was in it, you were doing this and you were killing it. Like, as you said at the very beginning, you know, since past the seven months, you've been working that, that, you know, uh, vaccine job and that's been your thing. And, you know, I, I bartend and and we've both been auditioning with our favorite guy, Roy at Skytown and Skytown. Thank you, Roy. Yeah, we love you, Roy. And uh, so this fund, it is live. And we what's the number we need to get to now? I think currently we're at 40,000. 40,000. And then, you know, if it gets bigger, it gets bigger. Uh, But basically just, you know, anyone, anything, anyone can contribute is really appreciated. Uh, it's just and you're at about 30 just for those listening it's not the full 40 we need so yeah i'm really i'm you know i I, i'm it's a call to action here for my listeners even if you can donate five dollars it goes such a long way you know i I have two thousand subscribers if everyone donated five then that would be 40 so you know whatever you can donate means a lot and and what else can we do to help you uh you know uh just just support is always great support because uh, it's it's been hard like I'm not gonna lie to you um, but I will tell you this now I know that I've said a lot of things that are hard but I'll tell you this now that that I walk out of this place hopefully tomorrow which is the hope um, I have a new body I have a new heart and kidney but I just want to encourage people to find a new place of joy in their life. Because I think the big thing for me is that through this, I have learned that I, and friends have told me this for years, you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And this thing 
has made me love myself because I got to see what I could do, what the darkest place I could go to and still come back and still fight to come back. Um, and you know what? I'm going to say it because your boy Hamish, that you, uh, you loved the uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah. His mother um, was Kristen Linklater and she was my teacher at Columbia. And the biggest thing that I've learned from this whole experience is the power of breath. Because everything that you do in your life is connected to your breath. And it's the little things like I was changing my shirt one day and I could not change my shirt. But when I breathed, I was able to just work it through, take that moment. And um, I was supposed to walk down a staircase the other day that there was going to be my test to get out of here. And I couldn't do it. I overbreathe. I, I panicked. I panicked because I didn't support my breath. I didn't take the moment to be able to just let the breath guide me into the action that needed to happen. Um, so I would encourage your listeners to really think about their relationship with breath yeah. because it is the founding block of everything we do. And I, that's some hippie stuff that I would never say beforehand, but I know that Kristen was like laughing somewhere being like, well, finally he learned it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, I did. I'm I did. sure she's listening. Uh, she's passed. Oh, well, <laughs> listening from above. She's but, listening uh, somewhere. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you, man. You truly are you're the most resilient man I know, man. And, and we all love you. And I hope you felt the love from the community of, of all the Fiero family. And, uh, you know, I'm here for you, man. And I'm, I'm going to link both the, the, the GoFundMe and the, the meals and, uh, brother, let, let's do this again. And, uh, Thank you. to V Fiero, I love you, brother. And you're a true hero, man. And I'm so proud of you. I love you, Ron. Thank you, man. for having right. me on. All right. I'll see you back in Brooklyn this week. Yep. Out of the hospital. All right. I love you, brother. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.